Glad you guys are here this morning. You're awake now, aren't you? Right? 11 o'clock crowd, glad you guys are here. Uh, if you're joining us online, glad you guys are joining us this morning. Glad that you set some time out to, to pursue God today and, and to, to discover what it means to follow Jesus. And so we're glad you're here. But before we get going, um, I have a quick announcement that I want to make, want to not miss, is uh, the, the worship team that was just up on stage up here. Uh, you probably do not recognize any of them. And, and that's because they're not from our church. Uh, back in August, our uh, worship pastor took a job at George Fox University, took a full-time job heading up their worship department. We're excited for him. Great thing. In fact, he's going to be here next week with the team from George Fox as a lead in worship for us. Um, but in the meantime, you know, we had to fill some gaps as we're interviewing and we're searching out people and, and uh, pursuing who's going to be our next worship pastor. And we're excited because um, at the end of service, we're going to be announcing who it is. And October 31st, he's going to be here. And that's going to be awesome. But in the meantime, there have been a lot of churches that have been so incredibly gracious and filling the gap for us. People, churches who understand that like we're all on the same team together, right? And uh, Resonate is one of those churches that models it so well. And I'm so grateful that they're part of our community and that we get to do ministry together. They meet in our building here on Sunday nights um, and they're just awesome. If you don't know anything about Resonate, uh, they, they uh, sent a team to come plant from Eastern Washington five years ago. And when they came, the cool thing about, if you don't know a lot about church dynamics and church planting, this may seem a surprise to you, but most of the time, when church planters show up at a community, they show up because they have a little subtle convincing in their soul that every other church has failed that community and they're gonna come fix it, right? That they're gonna be the one that does it right. That the reason they need more churches is because all the other churches messed up. And Resonate is so incredibly gracious and kingdom-minded that that's not at all their posture. They came in and in fact for six months, they just spent time on Sunday mornings at different churches in the community. They took different pastors out and just like asked, like, hey, what's God doing here? And like, where should we really lean it? And it just, an incredible church. And so if you get a chance after service or if you're joined online, you can, you can say something to someone online is, is tell them thank you, not just for this morning, um, but for their generosity and for their heart, for the kingdom to grow, not just their church. And so I'm super grateful for them. So here we go. Matthew 21 is where we're going to be. If you don't know, my name's Sean. Glad you joined us today. Matthew 21, we're working through the book of Matthew. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew 21 if it's on your phone or, or on a tablet. If you don't, don't worry about it. We're going to read through it together. Um, we are moving into a section that is one of the... Um, well, it's, it's what we call Holy Week, right? It's all of Jesus's ministry is culminating in this one week that all the tensions rise, all the, the, the questions come to a climax, and Jesus's ministry culminates in his death and resurrection at the end of the week that's to come. And just so you understand the pace we work through the book of Matthew, this last week of Jesus's life is going to take us about a year and a half to get through, Okay. We're gonna go every, it's gonna be like an episode of 24, right? We're just gonna do one hour at a time for the next seven years, right? Um, but no, is we're gonna, so today we begin with what is a Christian holiday called Palm Sunday, right? And we celebrate the Sunday before Easter, and, and you probably know it, you're gonna be familiar with those we read through. This Sunday, this morning where Jesus, the day where Jesus comes walking the city of Jerusalem and people lay palms at his feet, that's why they call it Palm Sunday. But, but for many years, when I would read this story, it confused me. 
It confused me because, and maybe for the same reason that it may confuse you, maybe a question you've had before is, is how is it that, as we're going to read, the crowds cheer and celebrate and lay their coats in dirty roads and cut palm branches and celebrate Jesus coming into the city. And just four days later, by Thursday night, by Friday morning, they're chanting, crucify him. How does it go from celebrating Jesus as coming into the capital city of Israel to we want Barabbas, crucify him, crucify Like how does that happen? It's always seemed a, a bit extreme, a bit crazy to me. And, and, and I've got to be honest with you. The answer I'm going to give you today is just totally my speculation. Scripture does not say explicitly how that happened but I think, I think seeing the story and understanding what's happened in the dynamics is going to challenge us and how we follow Jesus as well, whether this is the reason or not. So, so let's read it. Here we go. You ready? Matthew 21. Matthew 21, verse 1, it says this. When they, being Jesus and his disciples, had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village opposite you and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send them away. He will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughters of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the full of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them and brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them. And he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. Okay, so he, here's, here's um, Matthew is trying to, and Jesus is trying to get us to see an image of Jesus that's really clear even for us 2,000 years later. Something that is, is Matthew is trying to get us to see Jesus as a coming king. Right? It says it right there, that, that Matthew tells us that this is to fulfill a prophecy. Behold your king is coming to you. But it's more than that. Jesus is actually orchestrating these events. Now, sometimes we get a little nervous when we're talking about prophecy and we think that Jesus orchestrating prophecy somehow discredits who he is. Here's the deal. Jesus could not have orchestrated where he was born. He could not have orchestrated the lineage he was born into. He could not have orchestrated the details of how he was killed. He couldn't orchestrate a ton of things. But this moment here, Jesus is orchestrating this. Look at this. It's, it's, it's not an accident that Jesus enters into Jerusalem on this Holy Week on a donkey. He's the one who ordered it. He called up Uber and said, I'm going to need a donkey on Sunday, and I need him waiting for me, right? And if I get there, and you know, my password, if I get there and anybody asks you, here's the secret password, the Lord has need of it. Oh, Right? Jesus orchestrates this moment because he wants the people of Jerusalem, he wants us 2,000 years later, to see clearly without question the claim that Jesus is making. What Jesus is doing is he's orchestrating events to claim kingship, 
to claim that he's the fulfillment of the one who will come to sit on the throne of David, to be the greater King David, to be the ruler and kingdom of, king of God's kingdom and his people. This is no accident. There's a lot of times where Jesus doesn't have control. I mean, he does, he's God, he can do whatever he wants, okay? Can we all agree on that? He can do whatever he wants. But there are a lot of times in Jesus' ministry where he chooses not to determine how people are gonna respond to him, what's gonna go on, He's he's living fully human in the presence and existence. In this moment, Jesus is orchestrating, whether he did it miraculously by God's ordination, we don't know. We don't know if there's a guy in the village and he had a dream and and said, you know, some dudes are gonna come steal your donkey, but when they say the Lord has need of it, just let your donkeys go, right? We don't know, or we don't know if Jesus like sent someone ahead and said, I need a donkey, put one on layaway for me, right? We, We don't know, but what we know is that Jesus is trying to paint a picture for us. He's trying to paint a picture that cannot be ignored for all of those who are in Jerusalem that day. As good Jews, every single one of them would have known this prophecy of the coming king coming riding on a donkey. And Jesus gets himself on a donkey to ride into the capital city to say, I am the king who has arrived to come back and take the throne of David, okay? So Jesus paints a picture, Matthew paints a picture of Jesus as a king, but it doesn't end there. There's, there's more imagery going on here. But look at verse nine. The crowds going ahead of him and those who, fo- who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Literally means save us or, or save us now. Save us, they shouted to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Save us in the highest. Save us, right? This is all language of the priest. Here's what I mean. The job of the priest was to mediate between the people and God. The job of the priest was to be the one who made the atoning sacrifice to reconcile, to save the people back to their God. That's what a priest would do. Now you would bring the sacrifice, but this priest was the one who would pray over, who would take it, who would sacrifice it on your behalf. That he would do the one who would do the physical act of saving. What Matthew wants us to see is not just Jesus as king, but as the book of Hebrews calls it, that Jesus as our great high priest, that Jesus as the, because you see the difference between Jesus and the other priests, the book of Hebrews tells us, is that they continue to offer sacrifices over and over and over again. But what we're gonna see at the end of this week is that Jesus is going to offer himself once for all perfectly as the atoning sacrifice for all of creation. That Jesus is going to be the priest who gives himself to be the mediator, to be the atoning sacrifice, to bring his people back to their God. So Matthew wants us to see Jesus as king. He wants us to see Jesus as the great high priest. And and then look at how the story unfolds. Look at this. You ready? Last two verses. This is how we get from a people who shout and celebrate over Jesus to crucify him five days later. Look what it says. When he'd entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred. Now, um, in first service, we had a guy, he goes to our church named Joe Hoover. He's actually a Bible translator. I I never want to throw shade on Bible translators because it is a hard job. 
It's a really hard job. But this word here, stirred, <laughs> it's not a real great word, right? When you think of stirred, it's kind of like, um, uh, like stirred is like what you do with a pot of stew, right? You, you got your little fire going on your stew and you take a spatula and you stir it. The Greek word here is much more violent and aggressive. It would be like if you're in your house and your spouse says to you, hey, could you, could you stir the pot? If you walked over there and grabbed the pot and went, Dah! right? I, I don't think that that's what they're asking of you, but that's what this word means. There's a violence to it that Jesus is coming in because the people of Jerusalem understood the imagery. They understood that he was a king coming to take the throne again. And so there was, a, there was a chaos. There was a turmoil in the city. Maybe a better word. Turmoil in the city. And then look at this. And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet. This is the prophet. Jesus goes to elaborate lengths to Lean into this picture as Jesus is king. Matthew points out the saving act of Jesus to point out that Jesus is also a priest. And yet when questioned, the people lean in and say, oh, he's a prophet. Here's why this matters. Now, if you've spent enough time, if you've spent a little time reading theology, you might say, well, you know what Matthew's doing in this passage? He's doing a really great job of painting the threefold ministry of Jesus, that Jesus is prophet, priest, and king, that he is the greater and better prophet. He's the greater and better priest and he's greater and better uh, king, that he fulfills all those things in one, that he is the one Messiah that we've always needed, right? And that's true, I think that's what Matthew's doing. The problem is in the first century Israel, they would have had no clue what you're talking about. They'd have, they'd have, no, they'd have no concept of what you were talking about at all. Because in fact, based on their traditions and the rabbinic teachings and what they read in the Old Testament, Jesus could not, listen, this white matters what they call him. Jesus could not have been a man and be a prophet and a priest and a king. He could not, he could only be one of those things. Um, God, when he, when, he, when he set up his people, when he set up Israel, um, he kind of did like, we kind of have like checks and balances, right? And so you have kings and prophets and priests, and they all serve different roles in God's kingdom, in his, in his nation, Right? One of the great examples of how you can't cross the lines between these two comes with uh, King Saul. You know King Saul? Most of us think of King Saul as a bad guy. And, and, and that's right, King Saul's life ended bad, right? But King Saul's kingship started good. In fact, it was God himself who chose Saul who had Saul anointed as king. He, didn't, he, didn't, he wasn't birthed into it. He didn't win a contest. God chose King Saul. And to begin with, things go well. But there's one moment, it comes in 1 Samuel 13, where things turn for, for Saul. He, he's he's uh, going to war, and, and, and Saul is a beast at war, right? He is taller than everybody else. He's more handsome than everybody else. He is, he is a rock star, right? Think of whatever action movie superhero you want to think of. Saul is like the man's man. And they go to war and they crush people, right? And so they're going to go to war. And Samuel, he tells Saul, he says, uh, I want you to go prepare yourself 
but you have to wait seven days before you go to war. So Samuel goes and he gets his, 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 his army together. But the problem with waiting seven days is you're notifying your enemy that you're coming. And so while they're waiting, day one passes, day two passes, day three passes, their enemy begins to organize. And you can imagine the chatter amongst the, the, the soldiers, the, the questions like, whoa, 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 why, are we, why are we giving them time to fortify their defenses? Day four comes, day five comes, and the people begin to get nervous and anxious. And in fact, it says that some of them begin to run, begin to flee, begin to leave. And Saul's patient. He waits day six, day seven. But man, it's like as soon as the sunlight cracks over the hill, he goes to do what he has to do to prepare to go to war. Now, one of the things that they had to do to prepare to go to war was to offer incense. They would offer incense and they would ask God to bless them and to be with them and to protect them in war. The role of the priest right? Saul, day seven comes, light cracks over the hill, and he's got to go to war, and he's losing his people, and he's losing time. So he goes and offers incense. And then Samuel, he comes walking up right as, as Saul finishes, and Samuel says this. He says, what wicked and foolish thing you've done. And it is that moment that, Paul, that Saul's career as king begins to spiral. They would have had no comprehension that Jesus could be prophet, priest, and king. And here's why it matters that Jesus goes to such extreme lengths to declare himself a king. Matthew wants us to see the people declaring him as their great priest. And yet when questioned, they call him a prophet because if Jesus is a prophet, it's a lot safer. If, if all Jesus is, is someone who comes and speaks as a mouthpiece for God and tells you some good things, tells you some better ways to live, gives you some wisdom, maybe, maybe some really good strategies and ideas to have a better marriage, to deal better with your finances, to, to interact, how to be a better human, that's safe. Because the problem is, is if Jesus is king, he demands submission. If Jesus is priest, he demands dependence. Because if Jesus is king, he's sovereign over all. And if he tells you to do something, if he speaks that this is the way we should live, as a king, he has the right to demand that of you. And our only rightful response to King Jesus is to bend our knee in submission. If they're asked the question, who is this? And they say, oh, this is the great high priest, Jesus. Then they acknowledge that he is the only one who can do the saving for them. He's the only one who can redeem them. That all the lies that they've believed about their past, about their guilt, about their shame, that they have to trust and believe that God gave his own son for us. And what more would he not give? That Jesus was a sufficient sacrifice in this, this like, this like self-loathing that we justify of, oh, I'm so wicked. And it, you know, if everybody knew the stuff I'd done, like we can't have that in our soul. If we believe and know that Jesus is the perfect high priest who gave himself in our place. But if Jesus is just a prophet, if he, if he has some nice things to say, sometimes something funny to say, and he can kind of entertain us and give us like little snippets, little hacks of how to live life better. What's the risk in disobedience? 
In fact, in the Old Testament, if you um, disobeyed prophets, they just got weirder. Have you read the prophets? Like they would just do stuff like roll around in the ground. They'd like build these structures and then crash them over. One dude just walked around naked for a year. There's not a lot of risk to you if you don't listen to a prophet. But if you don't listen to a king, if you don't listen to the high priest who is the only one who can offer the perfect atoning sacrifice for you. It's easier for us. It's easier for us to just come to Jesus with a bent ear and listen to what he has to say than to bend our knee in submission to what he calls us to do. So here's, here's my question for you. Simple, practical question. When was the last time you did something simply because Jesus told you to, because he's king and ruler of your life. When was the last time that following Jesus made your life look meaningfully different? There's a pastor named Craig Rochelle. He wrote a book called uh, The Christian Atheist, and it's a good read, um, because he basically just said that most of us um, live our lives with the title Christian, but we would look no different than if we were atheists. That there's almost nothing about following Jesus that's changed because we're following Jesus. And if all we do is listen to Jesus and take little nuggets that we like and go, oh, that was really, yeah, we should, we should love our neighbors. We should be nice to each other. We should be kind to one another. Like every single person in America is going to say you should be kind to each other. That's not revolutionary. That's not shocking. But if Jesus is just a prophet... If Jesus is just a mouthpiece for God, it's a lot safer for us. But if Jesus is king, if Jesus is the only path to forgiveness and healing and restoration, that demands greatly of us. So when was the last time? When was the last time that you bent your knee in submission? You know what bending your knee in submission looks like? It means doing something that you would not choose to do, but you do it because those ruling over you tell you to. When was the last time you did something, not because you thought it was smart, you thought it was wise, you thought it was a good strategy, you thought it was a good step to have a better relationship, better marriage, better finances, but because you trusted faithfully, you submitted yourself to Jesus. I mean, one great, like, really simple example is, is, is part of, like, the early days of following Jesus. If you're going to be following Jesus, at some point we can argue about the theology around it. And I don't care because you're all wrong anyways. Um, we can argue about the theology around it. But, but one of the first acts of obedience that Jesus asks every one of us to do is baptism. None of us, the, 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 the number one fear in America is public speaking. None of us want to get up in front of people and confess Jesus and there's nothing magical about the water. Like, there's nothing crazy that happens. In fact, in fact, here, when we baptize people, you know how we baptize people? We baptize them with a, a, a water trough. Like, we bought it down at the, the cattle store down in Ricreal. Okay? A water trough that we fill with city water. And the only thing special about it is the contaminants and the carcinogens that come from the uh, fertilizer in the fields that's contaminated our, our drinking water which I don't think is the kind of special you want to dip yourself in, right? But in submission, we bend our knee, 
we stand up in front of other believers and we say, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Lord, King, and Savior, great high priest. Maybe it's with your finances. Maybe it's with a relationship. Maybe it's with a decision. Maybe it's with a, 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 an addiction, a brokenness, a fear, an anger, a shame that you continue to carry from the back of your life. When was the last time you chose to bend your knee in submission to the king of all of creation? Because if Jesus is just a prophet, if all we do is bend our ear to hear interesting things from him and not bend our knee, then he is neither Lord nor Savior for us. If Jesus is just a wisdom's teacher who tells you how to be a better person, he is not king. He is not the atoning sacrifice. So what is it for you? Jesus rides in on a donkey. King has come. Hosanna, they shout, save us, God. Save us. Who is he? Prophet or Messiah? Prophet or king and priest and prophet? What is he for you?